Welcome to the Square Circle Podcast. I am your host, Marie Shadows, and it has been way too long since I've talked to you about professional wrestling. On this episode, we are talking about AEW Dynamite, where I will go over the 10 lashings that Cody Rhodes had took, the matchups, the women division, and some more AEW news. But uh, let's jump right into it to the 10 lashings that MJF gave to Cody Rhodes. Obviously, this was going to be a really long segment. This closed out the show, the AEW Dynamite on February 5th. I was not expecting in all of my life of watching professional wrestling that I would end up seeing a lashing on television. I understand why they did it. I'm not upset. It's professional wrestling. Grudges are meant to be there. Storylines are meant to be there. It's totally okay. The only thing was that I would have never expected Cody to accept that stipulation before getting his hands on MJF, which will be at the pay-per-view February 29th. Cody is a Rhodes. The Rhodes family has never backed down from a challenge. When Dusty was still here with us, he had many battles with Ric Flair, the Four Horsemen, and the Von Erics. So the whole entire Rhodes family is extremely strong, extremely powerful, and they never back down from a challenge no matter what. So in order for Cody Rhodes to get his hands on MJF, he agreed to this outlandish term of getting whipped 10 times. It starts off with... Uh, uh, both of them are in the ring along with uh, Warlord. I'm going to probably say that dude's name wrong the whole entire time. His name does not roll off the tongue, just so you guys know. Cody is getting ready. Cody is uh, hyped up. The crowd is behind them with all their support. And in comes the first whip of Cody Rhodes' belt across his back. Um, as it went on, I honestly wasn't thinking I was going to get emotional. Uh, what really got me emotional was when Dustin had come out, got right up into uh, MJF's uh, face and told him, I will take the rest uh, for my brother. That whole sibling protecting siblings was very powerful. It was touching. It was meaningful and that's when it struck a nerve in me and I was like this is serious you don't take everything in professional wrestling serious there's some acts in professional wrestling that are just there to sweep you away from your horrible reality so MJF had all the power all the control in this segment and that solidified him as a heel to me. If you go back to any of the earlier podcasts, I never really thought of MJF as a heel. I wasn't understanding what he was doing as a heel. Like it, I wanted to see him evolve. And this segment made him evolve into the heel that you see presently. Now, I do know that fans of MJF is probably going to be like getting on me for not realizing it until now. But sometimes with me, with certain wrestlers, if I'm not too keen on supporting them right away, I want to see them grow. And that's not a bad thing. And I think that this whole entire story from when MJF fucked over Cody by throwing in the towel when Cody had his match with Chris Jericho for the AEW title made it all worth it to this segment to solidify MJF as a heel. It was very prominent that MJF kept yelling at Cody the phrase of can't help you. Obviously, he was saying to the guys that were around the ring. The ones we had around the ring was Arn had came out, then Dustin, then the Young Bucks. Um, well, before them was uh, the Blade, the Butcher, the Bunny, and some members of... Uh, it was Kip and uh, Penelope up there too, I believe. 
If not, you guys can correct me on that. However, my point is that every time MJF kept yelling at these people, I should say these friends of Cody, they can't help you, you know, stay down. That pulls at heartstrings and that makes you want to hate the guy. Makes you want to be like, you can't do that to another human being. It strikes up a really powerful emotion um, and it shows that he had all the power right there and then to do this to him even though mjf had all the power and control cody had all the support in the world from the fans watching in the arena and watching at home and it created a contrast you have a power hungry heel wrestler mjf wanting to destroy cody and you know doesn't want to be in cody's shadow was like you know you're not a mentor to me you know, we're just going to squash all that. I'm just going to destroy you because I'm better than you. And then you have Cody, who is the ultimate charmer with his wit and his love of professional wrestling that knows no bounds. And he is the ultimate baby face in this situation. And people want to support him and get behind him and rally behind him. And this is how he made it through all of the 10 lashings aside from Brandy coming down the ramp to hold his hand and tell him if I made it through the nine lashings with you, we could just do one more. And that's all it is, is one more. That little scene is the ultimate romantic book ever. That wasn't as graceful as I had wanted to put it before, but their love knows no bounds. And that also adds to the complexity of how you feel while watching the situation, because Brandy and Cody Rhodes, their love conquers all. So after the last whip, that was it. Everybody rushed into the rain to take care of Cody. MJF left. And you know, it'll be one thing that he won't ever forget, meaning Cody. And this will fuel the fire heading towards February 29th, the AEW pay-per-view of Revolution. Before Cody can get his hands on MJF, Cody has to go through another obstacle, which is fighting Warlord. I am going to get his name wrong all the time. I am so sorry. Like I said earlier, his name does not roll off the tongue. Cody Rhodes takes on Wardlow in a first ever steel cage match in AEW. Cody Rhodes is no stranger to cage matches i don't know how ward low would fare in a cage match however it will be historic and that will be happening this week on aew dynamite i'm looking forward to it this is one more step for cody to conquer and then when we head to the pay-per-view on february 29th cody rhodes can finally get his revenge on mjf i think that when it comes to the pay-per-view on february 29th that should just end the feud cody rhodes should go over it makes perfect sense for cody rhodes to go over after all of the it makes perfect sense for cody rhodes to go over after everything he has endured and so i'm looking forward to that match on the pay-per-view in the beginning of the show john moxley opens up the show comes out through the fans uh comes to the ring his opponent is ortiz before they get the match underway chris jericho with Sammy Guevara and Jake Hager all come out and they're on commentary uh, to watch this match. It is a very fast-paced uh, match. Well, medium to fast-paced match. There was one point where Ortiz throws Moxley into the step using the blindside part 
of Moxley because Moxley is still playing up the eye injury. Um, he was definitely a pirate on Chris Jericho's cruise. At the end, in order for Moxley to uh, pick up the victory, in order for Moxley to pick up the win, Moxley hits the paradigm shift on Ortiz. One, two, three. Moxley wins. Now, Santana jumps into the ring, tries to beat down Moxley, but it doesn't work. It gets reversed. And then Moxley proceeds to take out a pair of keys What that happens to have have a spike on those keys and uh looks jericho straight in the eye and just basically mouths off an eye for an eye which is very old school it's very old testament and moxley proceeds to hit santana in the eye with this spike while all this is going on jericho informs everybody that those are his keys for his car do I see Moxley getting the title at the February 29th pay-per-view? No, not entirely. I don't know how much else Jericho can go with being the champion of AEW. I am a fan of when titles change, but not change too often. You know, um, sometimes you do need a fresh face, a fresh to carry the weight of the company, but... I like the fact that this is very long-term storytelling that Jericho has not lost the belt to somebody else just yet. He can definitely make some more story with other people and make them stars because that's what Jericho has been doing since day one. Chris Jericho has been making stars. Sometimes the wrestling community doesn't see it that way. You know, all they see is an old guy in the ring who's not cut up correctly with his muscles and looking like everyone else. Jericho is doing a phenomenal job of staying in the wrestling business and reinventing himself better than anyone else ever can. He is making AEW what it is, along with the help of everyone else involved. It's not just him. And I know I'm giving him a lot of praise, but if you really look at his record, he is making other wrestlers that he wrestles with and or interacts with whether it's inside the ring outside the ring stars he understands the nature of this business is to not only make yourself look good but to make other people look good and if you make other people look good it reflects back on you it's just a simple technique that everyone should be using because wrestling should be a one big family rather than trying to fuck over each other uh just because you want the top spot but then if you lose the top spot you know who are you gonna blame i do not know what will happen at the pay-per-view if jericho retains who else can he feud with to get the belt i think the only other person that comes to mind to feud with jericho it will be Pac even though Pac wants Kenny, but I'm not sure who else would be the contender for the belt. If you guys have any ideas or thoughts about who Chris Jericho should be facing after the February 29th pay-per-view, you can leave your message on Anchor. If you guys don't know, Anchor is an awesome, 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 awesome platform. And they have a button where you can leave me a message. So make sure to leave me a message and I will gladly play it on the next podcast episode and I'll talk about it, dissect it, anything you guys want. But for now, let me know in a comment, uh, who do you think Chris Jericho should be facing after the pay-per-view if he retains. If he doesn't retain, you can still let me know your thoughts. Another comment before I leave that match, I do not want 
John Moxley to continue to open the show for AEW Dynamite. I want Moxley to either be in the middle or close out the show. The reason why I don't want Moxley to be in the beginning of the show is because I don't want him to get quick victories. I don't want the matches to feel like they're squash matches. I don't want to feel that. I want to get to know John Moxley. Because essentially, for me, this is the first time actually watching John Moxley and not watching Dean Ambrose. Dean Ambrose is no more. So now we have John Moxley. I never watched any of his old school, back in the day, indie days before WWE picked them up. So for me, I want to learn about John Moxley. John Moxley has so many layers to him. He's very creative on the mic. When you give him the mic and he's laser focused, you can see it in his mind, in his eyes that the that the gears are turning and he's making the story work. He's great at that. He's good with his wrestling ability and to tell the story. Him versus Kenny Omega, I was like, this is amazing. I totally respect John Moxley after that match. If you guys want to go back into the podcast backlog, um, I do give John Moxley praise for having that great match with Kenny Omega. I want to learn more about John Moxley and I want to learn more going forward and not necessarily going back because there might be some fans who would tell me, oh, watch this match from back in the day with John Moxley versus whoever. I want to go forward and I want to be on this journey with him. I do know that he's jumping back and forth between AEW and also New Japan. I will have to catch up on New Japan because who would have thought that Okada and John Moxley would team up as a tag team for their match? That is unheard of. That is amazing. And I really need to watch that match because I missed it. Getting back um, on point, I need Moxley to not be the opener of the show unless he has to quickly fly to Japan to work some matches. But, you know, I want to see this guy grow. And after the opening match, we have the tag team match, which is SCU, the team of uh, Scorpio Sky and Kazarian versus Best Friends. With them is Orange Cassidy. For me, this match was good. Best Friends has a new aggressive side that um, I've been seeing lately. Uh, I know Best Friends want to get back into the title picture. I don't know much about Best Friends. I do know that Trent Beretta is a veteran in professional wrestling. So I do know of him and his matches and his um, wrestling style. Uh, Chucky T, I don't really know too much about put them together, they have the gimmick of being best friends, even though it's probably true in real life, but you know, let's just play it up. You know, let's just keep it kayfabe, I guess. Honestly, can't get behind best friends. There's just something there. Um, I do enjoy whenever uh, they did the BTE mailbag on the Being the Elite episodes. I do enjoy when they're just being themselves and talking and saying random stuff and you know just being guys i i enjoy that um but as far as wrestling goes it's okay i mean i'll watch them i'll support them i'm just not gonna be like too much into it in regards to scu this is going to be a controversial statement that many people may or may not agree and if you may or may not agree again you can leave me a message on anchor so here it is i believe that Scorpio Sky 
needs to break away from SCU and become a singles competitor. I do not see Scorpio Sky growing in SCU. That does not mean that he cannot hang out with Christopher Daniels and Kazarian. He could totally hang out with them, still do, you know, the little bits that they do on being the elite. But other than that, when I was watching this tag team match and whenever Sky was in the ring, he was on fire. Not literally. Sky is so good by himself that he needs a singles run. After he's done with his singles run, he could definitely go back to being a tag team partner with either SCU or evolving and making his own or joining someone else. It's just that I don't think SCU is going to grow anymore. I enjoyed SCU from the bits of this is the worst town I've ever been in. I've done it whenever I visited New Jersey because sometimes New Jersey is weird especially if you're not like in the city and you're traveling with your wrestling buddies and you're going to an event and you're out in the middle of nowhere. Thus, I think I have the freedom to say, this is the worst town I've ever been in. I don't know where I'm at. I'm in the middle of nowhere in Jersey. So yeah, um, it was fun to do that while you're outside. I also enjoy the other bits of the Duya bits, which is kind of fun. It's uh, quirky and stuff, but I honestly believe that it's time for Scorpio Sky to break away, to just be on his own for a little bit and grab some singles wins and maybe eventually AEW put the belt on him um, because he is a strong contender. There's no doubt about that. He has a wide range of movesets and he's able to get the crowd involved. He's very good all around. So that is my statement. Scorpio Sky needs to break away from SCU. As much as I would like Scorpio Sky to break away from SCU to start his singles run, I also need Trent Beretta to stop doing that flip in the corner whenever he gets Irish whipped by an opponent. The top three wrestlers that would always do that would be Ric Flair, Shawn Michaels, and Triple H. So whenever Trent does his version, even though it's not really special or anything, it does not add to the match at all. It does not add to his arsenal and it does not add to the storytelling. It is extremely outdated and it does not need to be in the match. However, whenever Sean were to get Irish whipped into the corner and does the upside down move, at least Triple H would drop to the ground or the canvas in this, in this situation. So that way it could look like it hurt. So that way, in your mind, you're like, man, he really threw him into that corner. And this is why he hurts. And Sean will be selling his back after doing that. What does Trent do? Trent doesn't sell anything. Trent is good as a wrestler. He's a veteran. I give him all the respect and everything. However, whenever he does this upside down move, whenever thrown into the corner, it does not look as realistic as it should. It looks like it's half-assed and just does it just to do it because he's able to do it, but it doesn't add to anything. And I really just need him to stop doing that. If he improves on it where it makes sense, the psychology makes sense behind it, then he can definitely add it to his arsenal. But other than that, it just does not need to be in the match at all. Unless there's a meaning behind it and you actually sell your back to show that the opponent 
found a weakness and it's targeting that weak spot on your body. SCU wins by Scorpio Sky coming in to boot one of the best friends and that allows Kazarian to do a sunset flip to uh, pick up the victory. After SCU picks up the victory, the Dark Order comes out to attack both SCU and best friends. This also brings out Christopher Daniels. As soon as Daniels comes to the ring to defend uh, his buddies SCU and also defend best friends, the Dark Order immediately rushes out. Daniels is extremely upset about this, yells at them, tells them to come into the ring. He's ready for a fight. However, the Dark Order does not want to do that. The Dark Order instead backs away and they go to the back and that's the end of that the dark order has been transformed overnight they have really been a hit their future is definitely bright as a stable we just want to know who is the exalted one obviously with rumors circling around that it could be matt hardy matt hardy is the obvious choice for him to be the exalted one but with Matt Hardy doing the whole broken gimmick, delete gimmick, it may not work. It may clash and conflict with the Dark Order and the goals of the Dark Order and the mantra of the Dark Order. As much as fans want that fantasy booking to have Matt Hardy on the Dark Order team as the exalted one, it will not work. It'll be fun. We could test it out. That's not, that's probably not a problem. But to keep Matt Hardy there long-term as the leader, it will eventually fall. It will eventually morph into something that probably will not make sense. And then the fans will get on it, complain, and the Dark Order will be no more. Just how the fans complained about the Nightmare Collective when it was something unique for the female division. I don't know how many people on Twitter realize that. The men division has everything. The men division has the awesome titles, the awesome storylines, even though these storylines were cultivated over many, many years by um, watching the Being the Elite series. Everything has a place and a time and a history when it comes to the men's division. The women division don't really have as much as the men, but that doesn't put them at a disadvantage. Having Brandy create the Nightmare Collective alongside awesome kong and bringing in people the nightmare collective i believe was made specifically for the women's division so that way the women's division can tell the world that we could tell stories too without having the backing of years that being the elite series has on the men's division and i bet you no one ever thought of it that way because everyone is so quick to be like oh my god brandy can't do this brandy can't do that brandy can't wrestle brandy can't be in you know in front of the camera oh my god is brandy coming down the the aisle she just messed up a match she can't do anything right everyone got on brandy so negatively that it does not need to happen brandy is a defiant woman who's in a league of her own and she deserves way more respect than what people give her and i don't understand why people want to see her more as a manager but don't want to give her the time of day to explore other options and sort of stop her in 
achieving something that she may have not thought that she may have wanted to achieve. As far as I know, Brandy started off as a ice skate performer. She does modeling, as you can definitely tell. And then she transitioned into the world of professional wrestling, being an announcer in WWE. And that's where she found Cody. And then like the rest is history. I do not think that she ever wanted to try to be a professional wrestler. She does not throw it in your face that she is the best woman out there when it comes to professional wrestling. She tries. And it's sad that we no longer give people an A for effort. It's sad that we no longer give people the benefit of the doubt of like the more training you put in, the more work you put in, obviously you're going to get better. And that is what Brandy has done over the years. She got better in the ring with her storytelling, with her on the mic, with her creating the Nightmare Collective to be something different and to be the forefront of the women's division. Now, if you guys saw on Twitter, she burned the clothes of the Nightmare Collective. The Nightmare Collective is taking a little bit of a hiatus. It is also known that Awesome Kong is going to be filming the next season of Glow. Um, and that just leaves Mel and Luther by themselves when Cody Rhodes was getting the lashing during this episode. Brandy came out in regular civilian clothes as his wife and as the chief brand officer of the AEW company. So there's a lot of changes. And I understand that AEW listens to their fans, but sometimes the fans complain to complain and they get outraged for the smallest of stuff and they don't understand what they want anymore. I'm not saying to completely dismiss all wrestling fans because we do have a good bunch in the family where it's like, you know, they have some good ideas, they have some good points, they make very good arguments. However, the vast majority of those that talk loud should just not have their input taken because they don't know what they want to see. They don't want to give something longevity. They want something short and they want to understand it within five seconds. Sorry, professional wrestling does not work that way. I'd rather have long-term storytelling than short-term five-second bullshit that's on television every week. And you're like, oh my God, that's such good shit. You know, it, it really isn't. And by the way, the Dark Order and the Nightmare Collective are definitely not similar. I do not understand why wrestling Twitter always said that they're very similar. They're not similar. Awesome Kong is collecting hair pieces. Did you guys ever think about that when she collected these hair pieces, these women athletes turned heel as soon as like the hair piece was gone? Bet you guys didn't think of it that way because nobody wants to analyze certain situations when it comes to professional wrestling everybody wants their hand being held and tell them every single step that ever happens and this is a great segue into the women's match that aew had the women match is Britt baker versus yuka sakazaki Britt has now evolved into the heel that she is meant to be during the Jericho Cruz, uh, she had a very cringy promo, which I didn't like. Obviously, Tony Schiavone didn't like. And lately, Tony Schiavone has been the butt end of jokes. I don't know why. Poor guy. I like Tony Schiavone. Always did. He has one of the best voices in the business. Just putting it out there. Back to Brit. Now she has evolved into the heel that she is meant to be. She uses the fact that she is a dentist to her advantage. And I'm happy about that because when she was a baby face, I was like, 
maybe you shouldn't use your actual degree that you got and i'm not dismissing her degree but maybe you shouldn't use it because what happens if the fans don't take to it what other gimmick can you come up with but now it makes sense they probably should have did this right out the gecko but maybe that was a good idea to not do it so soon i do like the fact that brit has to remind everybody that she was the first ever woman signed to aew as a competitor every week whether it will be AEW Dynamite or AEW Dark, the women don't have the quality matches that I'm looking for. And I'm not sure yet what that quality is. I do know that some of the women on the roster have that it factor where it's like, I want to see more of them and I want to see them progress and I want to see them in storylines that are uniquely different and uniquely meaningful to them because when you tell a meaningful story that's close to your heart it's the best story that ever comes out on television maybe sometimes sometimes what look good what looks good on paper is just meant to be on paper and sometimes not translated to tv screen my problem is that because AEW signed Japanese female athletes and also they have uh, Bea Priestley and Jamie Hatter as well as some other people from stardom and everything else. The fact that these women don't train together is probably making these matches sloppy. Not every wrestler is going to get the chance to face one another when they're in the independence. Sometimes, you know, wrestlers just have a special chemistry and they work and they have a series of matches and it's so beautiful. And you're like, oh my God, this is great. But when it comes to the women's division, in AEW, we might want more of a cohesiveness, a seamless match rather than hit, 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 take them down, hit, 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 take them down, you know, just not do ordinary movesets and wow us. I think that with Brit versus Yuka, it was definitely a slow buildup. Yuka is straight from Japan and stardom. So Yuka is used to wrestling the other girls over in stardom and the Jossie and the Joshi Pro and stuff like that. So it's a little bit different when she's facing with Brit. That's why some stuff just doesn't translate well whatever they talk about in the back and how they're gonna have the match this match like i said it was slow um there wasn't much to it i did not think that brit was gonna be losing this match and brit lost by yuka rolling her up into a crucifix pin after brit loses she goes to the outside takes the ring bell hits it over yuka once the second time ref Aubrey would uh, take the bell away and that'll be the end of that. Britt takes Yuka and positions her mouth to bite down on the bottom rope and then stomps the back of her head. This leads Yuka to bleed and lose a tooth. I was not expecting that, but that plays up. She's a dentist who could break your teeth and could also fix your teeth. How lucky is that? All right. So after the women's match, there was the eight man tag match which consisted of the Butcher, the Blade, alongside with the Bunny, accompanying them also the Lucha Bros, Ray Phoenix, and Pentagon Jr. versus the Young Bucks, Matt and Nick Jackson, with the AEW Tag Team Champions of Kenny Omega and Hangman Page. I'm just going to say right off the bat, this match was a very fast-paced, huge spot fest of a match. I do not mind spot fest matches. It's just that my eyes can't follow everything all at once, especially when you have an eight-man tag match. 
They wanted to make it explosive. They wanted to make it exciting. And I get that. Just slow it down a bit. Hangman starts everything off. Hangman is super aggressive. And then after Hangman gets in what he needs to get in in the match, there's a lot of quick tags between the Young Bucks and Kenny. They work as a team, as always, because the elite is always the original three guys of Matt, Nick, and Kenny. So they know very well of how to work well together with the quick tags. Um, the Elite gets in a triple drop kick on Butcher. And then sometime later during the match, you have Ray Phoenix with this awesome jump on the top rope all the way to the outside. And then sometime later during the match, Matt comes in to do his Northern Light Suplex. He manages to do four full rotations of the Northern Light Suplex. After all that, you have the Lucha Bros wreaking havoc on everyone. Hangman decides to do a moonsault to the Butcher, the Blade, and the Lucha Bros all the, on the outside. Hangman gets the strength to do a fallaway slam on Butcher. And then, towards the end, Hangman Page does not tag in the Yum Bucks. Matt is screaming to him to tag him in um, because the Yum Bucks are fresh. They want to get the victory. So this kind of distracts Hangman and then Pentagon hits his move and picks up the victory over on um, Hangman. This does not settle well with the team of the Young Bucks, Kenny and Hangman. The Butcher, the Blade, and Lucha Bros pick up the win. I do want to mention something for everyone out there. This story of Hangman spiraling down and becoming drunk Hangman or sad Hangman is very genius. And the story is very complex. It's complex to where I broke it down in an analysis that I did for my free newsletter, which you guys could totally sign up to if you go to squaredcirclepodcast.substack.com and read about it. Here is the Sparknotes version of it. So Hangman does not feel like he's part of the elite and that's because he is an outsider looking in and he understands the bullshit more than anyone else of course we got to keep it kayfabe so here's some backstory the elite was formed in japan nick matt and kenny are the original guys they started it all and they started to expand their family to where we got introduced to Cody Rhodes and Hangman. Hangman wasn't hanging around the elite as much. Cody was more in, involved because he left WWE to pursue the indies. He was very big. He became a megastar in Ring of Honor, where Hangman was under his shadow and his wing, if you want to say. Cody felt that Hangman was great, that he's going to be a great star one day. And that's true. Hangman is definitely going to be a great star one day. However, all the events leading up to this, it just wasn't very welcoming, to say the least. So Hangman was there during the days of the Bullet Club is fine and the Ring of Honor day of Cody Rhodes. After those two mini eras in professional wrestling ended and AEW sprouted up at the AEW press conference. It was announced that hangman page will be the first person challenging for the AEW world heavyweight championship. As we got closer, hangman did not win the championship. Then it started just having a downward spiral where he wasn't winning matches and he just felt like everything was against him. And there was no, friendship or connectivity so 
even though the elite has always said to Hangman that you are part of the group, you're part of the family, it does not feel like it at all. It feels like he's just there and not part of the loving family that you can see between Matt, Nick, and, and Kenny. And then they decided to put Hangman and Kenny together as a tag team. And who would have thought that this would have worked out great? Their chemistry is great. They're definitely opposites of each other. And it just worked really well. Who would have thought that they would have gave them the tag belts? And then now we're here. So I mentioned on my free newsletter, the original elite are like the cool kids in high school. And the very unpopular kid being Hangman Page ends up joining the popular kids at the lunch table, which is... The coolest thing any kid ever wanted when that happens. But Hangman can see the facade and feel like he's not part of it, even though to the outside world, he looks like he's part of it, you know? But yeah, that is my assessment of that. And if you guys want to get that free, that free newsletter again, just go to squaredcirclepodcast.substack. It is totally free to sign up. You don't have to pay a thing. After that very fast-paced eight-man tag match, we move to a segment where Tony Schiavone is going to interview Kenny, and then Tony is like, hey, I'm hearing something from backstage, and on pops Pac, the lovely interviewer Lexi, and Riho. Pac threatens Riho to get Kenny to agree to fight him. And it's kind of sad that it took... Riho to for Kenny to be like, yeah, you know, I would uh, accept your challenge finally. It's been weeks since Nakazawa has not been seen on TV. He was taken out by Pac, and Kenny didn't really do much about it. And then, if you watch the Being the Elite episodes, Kenny is like, oh, I don't have the power to make the matches, and that's why it's been going on and on and on. And then finally. It took up to intimidating Riho that Kenny would accept. So after Kenny accepts, we're going to be having a 30-minute Iron Man match between Pac and Kenny. Originally, I said this week on Dynamite, but it is three weeks that this 30-minute Iron Man match will be happening. That's going to be great. I'm going to be watching it, taking notes, and you guys would definitely know how I feel about it. Pac, being a gentleman, does not lay a hand on Rio, but he does say that a beast will lay hands on Rio, which refers to Nyla Rose. Nyla Rose comes through the curtain, attacks Rio, powerbombs her through a table. We also find out that Nyla Rose is challenging Rio for the title this week as well on AEW. Kip Sabian versus Joey Janela. This match is very interesting between these two. They have a kicking battle in the middle of the ring. At one point, Kip does a basement drop kick to Janela, where Janela hits his head on the steel steps. And then Penelope Ford comes in and bangs Janela's head against those steps again, just to disorient him a little bit more. Penelope Ford is not afraid to get her hands dirty with the men. And that is what I love about her. She is very awesome and inspirational for that and just shows that, yeah, we could definitely hang with the man because that's what the sport should have always been about. You know, equal grounds, equal footing. Now, you know, if other 
female athletes in professional wrestling don't like to mix it up with the men, that's totally fine too. That's respectable no matter what. You just got to make sure that you're safe and you're happy doing what you're doing in professional wrestling. After Janela gets his bearings, Janela does a suplex to Kip on the outside. This is when Kip decided to do a high-risk move. Janela caught him. Bam, suplex. Back in the ring, both of these guys are exchanging blows and blocks. And then I believe either Kip or Joey does a DDT on either one of them. Then Penelope Ford with the distraction again, giving Kip some motivational kisses to where Kip moves. And Janela elbows Penelope Ford to the outside. And this causes Kip to pick up a roll-up victory over Janela. That wraps up the AEW Dynamite February 5th review edition. I want to thank everybody that has tuned in to listen to this episode. Every single listener is appreciated. Just to go over some more stuff. You are able to send me a message on Anchor. If you do send me a message on Anchor, I will gladly listen to it. I will play it on the podcast and I'll talk about it. If you want to sign up for free newsletters, you can go to squaredcirclepodcast.substack.com. And as always, ladies and gentlemen, any free retweets is welcome. Talk about me on social media. Talk about the podcast on social media and let me know who you guys will want me to interview on this podcast to talk about their life, to talk about fun adventures and all that good stuff. I want you guys there for the journey and to see this grow. And it's about us and doing it together. So if you guys like this podcast, make sure to support it, share it, everything that we need to accomplish to make it work. And I'll see you guys in the next episode.